I'll say it to you right now, we need to end all new fossil fuel projects in the UK immediately if we are to have a country that we can live in, an economy that will keep us going. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. This is the sound of today's guest and his parents smashing and spray-painting a petrol station. His name is Dr Patrick Hart, And yes, he is an NHS GP by day, but also a long-standing activist with Extinction Rebellion and in more recent times with Just Stop Oil. He's campaigned against Bristol Airport expansion and other environmental issues. In September 2021, he was arrested for supergluing his hands to a concrete planter outside the bank JP Morgan's headquarters in Canary Wharf, London. In August 2022, alongside his parents, he sabotaged and blockaded a petrol station in Essex and also received a suspended sentence of four months for breaking an injunction and causing damage to 16 petrol pumps. He's just received another suspended sentence for a different incident. So why is a GP doing this? He's putting his career on the line for a big issue. Just stop oil. Are there tactics working? And should they be creating broader alliances with other political institutions to effectively create this change that's needed, which arguably is the biggest crisis we've ever faced in humanity? Enjoy. Hi, Dr Patrick. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know you've been really busy um, with a lot of court appearances, which we'll talk about in a minute, in the last few days and the last few months. You're a campaigner from the group Just Stop Oil, uh, which is a coalition of groups working together to ensure that the government commits to ending all new licences and consents for the exploration, development and production of fossil fuels in the UK. That's from your website. Firstly, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, for those who don't know, you're actually a qualified GP with a regular practice in Bristol, in over in Bedminster, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Literally on Friday. So we're recording this uh, on the Monday. You've just come out of court, haven't you? Yeah, I was up in the Royal Courts of Justice in London on yeah on Friday for a, a trial due to an in, a civil injunction break from um, earlier in the year. And you've been no stranger to this. How many court appearances have you had in, in the last year or so? Um, I guess actual cases. I've probably got... I've got four that have been and gone now yep. and another two to come. So six in total, I think. Right. And presumably yeah. growing up, you weren't somebody, you know, as a doctor now, I would imagine you weren't somebody that was on the wrong side of the law um, and would have been used to this type of stuff. Yeah, not at all. No, you guessed right. Um, yeah, I guess I was sort of quite a nerdy kid and I didn't really, don't think I gave anyone too much trouble growing up. Probably tried here and there to, you know, of teenage rebellion but no there's never been any big trouble no. so how's that been for you then you know later in life what are you now in your mid mid 30s becoming a dare i say well not a criminal but certainly in the criminal justice system is that does it feel strange or you can you can call me a criminal if you like i've got a criminal record now um yeah yeah i'm 36 and for the first time in my life i'm experiencing something that i i guess i hope to never have to experience i never thought it would be something that i would end up doing going into court is um 
yeah, it's a big deal the first time you do that. And it's a frightening experience. Yeah, it's been a lot of stress, to be honest. For you, emotion, emotionally? Yeah, massively. I feel like I'm just on a, I'm still on a bit of a kind of coming down from the, from last week because I was in court twice last week. And um, as much as I always think, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, you know why you're doing this. You've thought about this a lot. And it's, you know, it's not a surprise or anything. And whatever happens, happens. I still, I still get really stressed. I don't think there's any way to avoid it really and you could and, and you you know you could have had a custodial sentence for some of these charges yeah so on i mean on friday i was served uh, a uh, suspended sentence of four months so um well, I, I mean that, technically that is a that is that is a, a, a sentence it isn't is, it yeah. under the eyes of the yeah and, yeah and the way they deliver it they say oh, and you you know you have a custodial sentence of four months and you go you know oh my god yeah. and then you say and i've decided that on this occasion we will make that a suspended sentence and you go oh yeah it's God. that delayed thing I, I used to i used to work with young offenders and did go to a lot yeah. of youth court stuff and yeah it's that sort of like your sink your heart sinks yeah and then there's the follow-up so what did you feel was that sort of a mixture yeah. of fear and then quick relief i suppose yeah. well it's almost like it's designed to be an emotional roller coaster isn't it it's crazy yeah. but, um I, I mean you said about you worked with with people in the past in the court system and I, yeah I've, I've got patients who go through experience in the court system and to, to try and look for a silver lining and everything. I feel like at least now I understand a little bit of what it's like to go through that. There's always like a helpful side to every negative experience. And this has been to like, just teach me a bit more understanding, I guess. I mean, the law is obviously the law, but do you feel as a, as a doctor, you would be treated slightly differently than your average person that was going in there or do you or do you feel that perhaps it could be the other way around that because you're a doctor and you're getting caught out for protesting like you are actually the system would want to make a example of you more of you know that's tricky to say so obviously i'd love to believe that we're all treated equally and that's what the law is supposed to be for um i guess i i'm I, it's not my place to say but i can tell you that I've had four court cases so far. Two of them were things I did as part, I'm also part of Doctors for Extinction Rebellion, of freelance with any activist group that's trying to avoid our planet burning to ashes. So I, mm. I do stuff with them. But when we go out on the streets and do something, we tend to do it wearing scrubs. And the two cases I've had where I was wearing scrubs, I was acquitted. And the two cases I've had where I was just, you know, in my normal clothes with everybody else, not particularly being a doctor, I've been... Oh, um, okay. Well, you think yeah. that might be there might be some correlation? Well, to that. I don't know. Yeah. It's only yeah. four cases, and it could be that the stuff I was doing with the in scrubs was more had better defence for it. So I can't. I, it's I can't hard to say. say. Sure. I mean, there is a sense I think sometimes that there is a unwritten kind of class code a oh, little gotcha. bit in in the court system in this country that certain people get yeah. protected and others don't. I mean, I think I, I feel like it's probably true. Um, I hate to say it, but it probably is. And to be honest, that's the point of doing it as a doctor is to say, well, this isn't just for people who are considered, you know, that they that they're career criminals. This is people yeah. who the courts would not normally want to convict. And actually, we're going to say, well, look, we're we're serious about this. We're doing it too. And I think that's yeah. why you're an interesting person to talk to. I think because there may be a stereotype, you know, however true or, or right or wrong that is, of people that are involved in the activists or the protest movement. That they're young and they're kind of you know, Bristol obviously is no stranger to sort of radical politics. But the fact that you're a doctor 
Um, and yes, like, as you just referred to, I think that was in um, last year, wasn't it? In September, you were arrested for super gluing your hands to concrete outside um, uh, JP Morgan's headquarters in Canary Wharf alongside uh, 60 or 70 doctors and nurses for the for the Extinction Rebellion, Doctors and Extinction Rebellion. And that, that sort of spins people's heads a bit because I guess what it says is, oh, well, if a doctor's doing this, then maybe there must be something in it. So certainly people that are socially conservative that may be judgmental of traditional campaigners anyway. Yeah. I mean, and that's really reassuring that you said that because that's kind of what we're, what we're trying to do is there's, throughout history, there's been people who prepare to protest and they tend to be students or young people or people who maybe don't fit into what you know the, the norms for society in general and there's a reason for that i think if you're going to go against societal norms and say like we need to change things it, it tends to be people who are already kind of thinking that way but then it's easy to dismiss and we're trying to say that this is such a big issue this isn't just about people who are maybe a bit alternative or on the fringes this is about everybody and we're going to prove to you it's about everybody. We're serious about this. We're going to go out there and, and join them and do this stuff ourselves yeah. to say everyone should be caring about this. This is your life, my life. This is our our economy. This is our country. This is our future. It's not just a fringe issue. So oh, it's a relief if, if that is what's coming across because that's what we're trying well, to so, say. So, yeah, I mean, to me, I think I think it's interesting, all this kind of stuff. I'm interested in the, in the strategy behind it. And I think sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, whether we like it or not, the message of this stuff can get lost depending on who the messenger is and some people will turn on or turn off according to that and i just think it's a slightly different spin on it isn't it it's a different thing i i also think seeing a lot of older people which um extinction rebellion definitely you have seen older people getting arrested is also something that certainly in terms of the public eye that sort of changes perceptions a bit as well yeah absolutely i guess it, and that's the reality is that it is actually people from all walks of life it's people from every age category and you know middle class or working class whatever there is a complete range of people and it's it's often the stuff you see in the media maybe is a segment of that but yeah, yeah it's it's a nice rich interesting group of people who I've been trying to f- look for what everyone has in common and I just can't find it. It's a complete mixture. It's just it's just a general desire of not wanting to watch everything we care about be destroyed. And, so and would you push part. back? I, and, I, and I'm conscious and I don't want to do the, the sort of lazy media narrative um, of stuff like this, but would you push back at um, suggestions that it is a bit of a middle-class movement, that the um, environmental movement, protest movement, and, and the fact that young people can do it is because they haven't got the responsibilities and they've got the freedom. And maybe older people that are retired have also got a bit more time to do it. And and most people in the middle that are sort of working and you know in their day to day lives just haven't. I think there's some truth in that. Yeah, I don't think it's an absolute truth. There are always some exceptions, but yeah, it is hard. I mean, it's harder for me managing a job and activism at the same time. It's been really hard. Um, I'm. I wouldn't do it for another call if it wasn't so necessary. Mm. Um, I don't have kids. A lot of my friends do, and that makes it very difficult. Some of them still manage, but it's very difficult to balance yeah. all that. And you're right, young people or old people have a bit more time. So I wouldn't say it's that's a load of nonsense, but there's, it's not the whole truth. Same with the middle-classness. Yeah. I guess like if you are... Like, I grew up in a fairly family mm. where money was tight all the time and the thought of going to court and getting like a grand's worth of fines or something would have been like a complete nightmare whereas for me at the moment at least i can be like well 
that's not going to mean I'll make me homeless. So it yeah. does help if you, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a real struggle for my parents because they're, they're not wealthy people. And the idea of fi- the financial risk is huge. And the same yeah. for a lot of my friends who are, who are not white, you know, they've yeah. grown up doing that just don't get in trouble with the police is a bad idea. So there is some... Yeah, that's kind of my... I think that's the wider point of this, isn't it? One of the criticisms has been it's sort of cosplaying being arrested a bit, where, as you just said, you know, I was going to go on to that, that there are certain communities in this country, even in this city, where being arrested is is not really a choice. Um, Whereas you could argue you're putting yourself in a position, you know, police would go into those communities and and wrongfully arrest and stop and search is, you know, 10 times disproportionate, particularly with the black community, for for example. Um, Yeah. So, so how do you how do you sort of square that type of criticism? Saying, well, you haven't got so much to lose yeah. by doing this. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm not glorifying getting arrested. It's horrible, um, but it's also doable and survivable, and and it's something that that this this moment is, I think, probably necessary if we're going to avoid a hellish future. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, everyone should get arrested just for the sake of getting arrested. I wouldn't encourage anyone to get arrested. I, I I've been I've got some lovely friends um, in London who I've been staying with for years doing all of these things, and they're they're from a they're not white people. They're from yeah. a African background, yeah. and they are so supportive. They care so much about what's happening. But they're like, you know, are you crazy? Why would you go and? do something where you know you might get arrested that's like to to that community it's like complete insanity but i'm not i'm i'm in a way i'm like well actually it's made me realize that i've had a really easy time of it compared to most people so far in my life and i'm prepared to use that now and say well if if anyone should be doing it it's probably me because so you're kind of using your privilege really as a as a you know as a responsibility or as a weapon to, to create change because you can yeah, exactly. Why not? Yeah. I mean, in a way, I have a lot to risk in terms of like, I could risk my, I'm risking my career. Yeah. But compared to what, you know, you're saying some people are risking is much worse. Some people, you know, it's like, yeah. this is their whole life. You hinted at the health authorities, there is potentially a bit of an issue. So if you get in any kind of trouble in any health professional role, you have to inform your regulator. So mine's the General Medical Council. That's who regulates all doctors in the UK and has done for over hundreds of years, I think. Um, and so I, I tell them about everything that's happening because one of the important things about this is to be completely transparent and honest. I'm not here to like try and get away with something. I'm here to say that I do respect the law. Yeah. I'm only doing things that I've very carefully thought about, which I do at times break the law because sometimes history shows us that breaking the law in a very considered way is necessary to create the change that we all need to have a better world. So I'm I'm not trying to say like I'm above the law and I'm going to get away with it. So I keep them informed of everything that happens. Yeah. And it's their job to decide if I'm safe to be practicing medicine basically. And I might I mean my personal feeling is like like I guess like I was saying about going to court it it gives you a broader outlook on life and it helps you understand different people that you, you know, parts of life you've never seen before. I think if anything, this makes me better at my job. Um, it makes me think of health in a much broader context. Like it's not just about having pills or, mm-hmm. you know, having an operation. It's about the world you live in and the air you breathe and the water you drink. It's really expanded my view on medicine, but it's, 
that's, because, that's because the medicine model would very much be about yeah individual bodies take taking uh, you know yeah. illness without looking at the environmental social exactly. factors of health which i think is becoming more and more prominent than people's understanding now isn't it massively so yeah absolutely i'm glad you you that that's something that you've kind of come across because it's so important the traditional medicine model is wait till you get ill and then try and find a cure which is mm. like i have to take this pill the wider determinants of health as it's become known is like your whole life every day affects your health like just the way you get to work or what you eat or it's obvious when you think about it but yeah your so, ha- housing your social conditions where you live yeah. your access to green space all that stuff is it it's a yeah yeah we've i don't think we've seen it in such in broad holistic terms uh, uh, whereas i think people are starting to understand that a bit more now i really make a point of protecting my work time so it doesn't doesn't activism is separate i do it you know in my time so, are, and, so are you under some sort of investigation then at, at the moment or exactly so they yeah so I've reported myself to them and they're investigating me and ultimately they make a decision on whether I get to keep working or not. So, yeah, I guess... I mean, when, so will you, when will you know this? When will the outcome be for this? So that's the kind of... That's the strange thing about it. it for lots of doctors and for, you know, nurses and for everybody, this is kind of your worst nightmare is being under investigation. And there's no sort of it's not like the law in terms of there's a set of predetermined rules they get to just they get to look at each case on its own basis and make a decision and you just find out when you find out and it's that's i guess that's why it can be so nerve-wracking because you just don't know what's going to happen and yet you knew this before you had the potential to be arrested but you you took the risk anyway you you the cause is something you believe in so much that you are prepared literally to put your career potentially on the line yeah and it i mean it it, that was not a decision I took lightly. For a long time, I was kind of, well, like a lot of people, the first thing I did was try all the legal things you can do. So I got a, like an added extra to my job of doing sustainability work at work. And I did all the kind of usual marches, protests, letters to MP, petitions, and all the kind of local, small political stuff that you can try and do. And it pretty quickly became obvious that the crisis was so much worse than that and it just wasn't going to be enough. Then I had to make that decision. And first I supported other activists and did all the kind of non-arrestable things I could, which there's there's so much for every activist who gets arrested doing something illegal. There's so many more who are like just supporting in different ways. So I did that. And after a while I thought, well, why, why not me? Why shouldn't I be the one to step up and Mm. take some of this load? And it, it was hard. It was a hard decision. Often it starts off with, well, what can I do in my own life? So I started off by saying, well, I won't fly anymore. Um, I turned vegan and and got like renewable energy for my house and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, well, I didn't, well, I just bought it from a, I couldn't afford solar panels, but I just paid to get renewable energy. So you made those um, changes in your own life yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, great, well, that's sorted out. Then you look around, you're like, oh, no, still really bad. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah. better do something else then. And then it just keeps going. And eventually, I guess it was like, you. Ha- I actually had to read the history because I didn't, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't even do a history GCSE and I didn't really know. Like, mm. remember a poster of Martin Luther King up in our history classroom and I was like, oh, I guess he was important somehow, but I don't really know. And... And I kind of had to read up, like, how does change actually happen? There are whole books written about this, like, how does change happen? Mm. And what, we, what we're looking at now, things have got so bad, we need a massive, really rapid change. I don't like that idea. I, 
don't particularly want to change, but it's a fact that if we don't change a hell of a lot of stuff really quickly, yeah. we're in trouble. And when you look at how that happens, it's basically there. there is no movement you can find who's done that without at least some of the time doing civil disobedience, i.e. breaking the law. And risking being arrested under the law, but also risking being unpopular. The obvious yeah. narrative at the moment is that there is... Um, I don't know if you've done. I've done if you've done many media interviews, but when I've sort of watched or looked in, I don't know, Good Morning Britain or BBC News or what's the one that Piers Morgan does, Talk TV, that kind of stuff. It, the conversation never really gets on to why people are doing it. It stays at the optics and it stays at the sort of culture war sense, or that it stays at people being angry and annoyed. And I get that, and I want to get onto that in a bit as to why that is, and perhaps how you can bring people along arguably more effectively but is that frustrating for you campaigners that when you go into the media that it just feels like it's sort of base level one conversations on this stuff yeah absolutely i mean yeah i and again i started doing media because i thought well again let's use use the doctor status to be like well maybe it might make people stop and think well this guy isn't just here to annoy us for fun or whatever they might say yeah. um, but it's even then it's been really hard to break through and you what just have you ha- been on pat what sort of what sort of stuff have you done i've only done a few yeah. um i was i went on good morning britain for like five minutes and the rest How was that oh horrible it was one of the most stressful things i've ever done no offense to them but um i'm an introvert and i don't really like i don't you know i don't really want the attention um and being in a studio with lights and four people all having a go at you at the same time. It's not very nice. Who was, um, who was doing the questions? Um, Susanna Reed and Ed Balls were okay, presenting, right. and then they had a couple of other guests who were both anti just or anti-protest or whatever. But it, so didn't, it, was, it didn't feel a sort of balanced conversation? No, there was no no attempt to balance at all. It was just get you on and have a go at you. I'm interested in that sort of strategy because I think utilising the media is obviously an effective strategy to get the word out there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, some of the actual direct protests are designed to get media attention. You know, the, the infamous um, soup over Van Gogh, yeah. um, flowers painting, that's designed to get a buzz or to get a reaction from it. Yeah. Um, but then when I guess the second part, then it becomes to having conversations with journalists about this. Um, mm. And it does feel, and as a journalist myself, it does feel, and I, you know, I accept some of the stuff I do is long form, so it's easier to get into a bit more than nuance, but it just feels a bit of a sort of gotcha thing or it's or it's dividing they, or instinctively taking the side of the, of the outraged person on the way to work. I don't know. Yeah. That's just my perspective. And I don't know if that's, how, if that's shared in, in the community in which you're, you know, an activist, for yeah totally yeah it is i mean it that's how it feels but i guess the way you carry on is you look back at who's been before us and you look at the news articles that came out about the suffragettes at the time that they were active and it's exactly the same thing they're just it's just insults and the whole message of hey maybe it would be a good idea for women to get the vote was drowned out by just having a go at them for i mean really awful stuff if you look at it's horrible they're just yeah. insults just pure insult. Do you, draw, event- do you draw parallels then with, with that uh, subject, civil rights movement? Yeah. Do you see that I mean, this is the modern day version? I don't think it's exactly the same, but the problem with the climate crisis is we don't have any precise, you know, this is unprecedented. There's never been anything like this. Mm. We're just looking around for 
some kind of a template to work off and those groups who who made really important social change happen yeah um that's the closest we've got but there's no guarantee there's no like oh well that, that's how they did it so it's definitely going to work or yeah. oh we're we're just like them we're not we're we've got a new issue which is something unlike the world has ever seen it's probably i mean it is the biggest challenge faced by humanity in our entire history of you know a million years of being humans on the earth or whatever it is so yeah you just you're just looking around for some guidance really aren't you and that's the best we've got yeah eventually we'll get to where we need to be but the problem is if that takes another 20 30 40 years how many people are going to die not in the soon enough yeah exactly yeah. it needs to happen right now so that's why we've got to push for it This is the advert bit, so feel free to zip on if you like. But those who haven't heard and don't know anything about the cable, stop and just quickly listen to this. We are a cooperative, and uh, that means we're a membership organisation, and you can become a member. And that basically means you sign up from the website and you chuck some money in each month. It could be anything from a pound, five pound, ten pound, whatever you can afford. And you get a chance to have a say in meetings, AGMs, uh, put forward suggestions for articles we can write, guests for this show, anything really the media needs a bit of a kick up the backside in this city and, uh, and wider so this is a chance to actually get off the fence get off the sofa and uh, have your say back to the chat Dude, the some of the tactics are different i guess quite innovative or creative or whatever a better word um high profile actions blockading central london obviously stopping traffic climbing the dartford crossing as i said throwing soup at van gogh spray painting banks government buildings blockading oil tankers uh the chap that locked himself to the goalpost did a football match i think he's now in prison as well i think i might, might be wrong about that um I don't know his name all those kind of things it's because one of the criticisms i think of uh, extinction rebellion was that it was just about stopping people going about their daily lives i mean one of the biggest videos i saw which people pushed back against was the uh the tube in yeah. I think it was East London and you know working class people trying to get to work and it, and, and yeah. there is a I think a legitimate debate to be had about the, the right target for this oh, yeah. stuff okay. but yeah. you do also target um, specific things connected to Lawson Oil for example and tankers and stuff so it is you kind of it's not just a painting publicity stuff it's also specifically direct targets connected to the industry correct? Yeah massively I mean it's really difficult because um, you're, you're, you're walking a tightrope the whole time. If it's, like you say, if it's something that's just way misses the mark, like the Canning Town thing you mentioned, where it's purely blocking working people. Do you think that did miss the mark for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I guess the problem is you're going to make mistakes. Like we're just, we're just feeling our way here, trying to do something, and we're never going to get right 100% of the time. And the best thing you can do is say, actually we made a mistake and i mean i had nothing to do with that but i'm prepared to own it as much as anybody else say i'm part of this been part of this climate movement and yeah we've not always got it right but we are kind of working it out as we go along because we're just trying to do something and a lot of the criticisms i hear people will say oh why do you why do you block ordinary people going to work well you should just do this and they'll they'll say something we should do you should you should block uh the fossil fuel industry i'm like well we do, but you probably didn't hear about it because it didn't 
upsetting so that, one. Yeah, that's a really interesting, that's a really, really uh, salient point is that if you do do that, when you do, you don't hear about it, but you hear about the Van Gogh or you hear about the chap on the football field. So it's sort of a bit yeah. of a, yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? It's really difficult. Yeah. I mean, I've even had people say to me, oh, I should just be planting trees. And I'm like, well, I do. But <laughs> no one's going to ring me up from the newspaper and say, oh, I heard you planted a tree last week. Can you? Yeah. Which is kind of the problem with the media, because if they have a really nuanced, complicated conversation about um, why we need to, you know, reduce the amount of, or, or, of oil we're using, fossil fuels, mm. and what solutions uh, and answers they may well be moving forward beyond this, um, yeah. people aren't engaging with that they're engaging with the shock and all and the drama and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So you're kind of playing the media at their own game a bit, I suppose. Um, yeah. Keeping messaging on topic is really hard because obviously like right now I'm talking to you, mm -hmm. I'm just saying what I think, but I'm trying yeah. to keep it in line with the messaging because if you have everybody saying whatever they want, it kind of goes off topic. And one of the things that you really need is solid messaging. And yeah. if you're a company or if you're an advertiser or whatever, you know, that's what we do. But for us, we need to keep keep this message. I mean, I'll say it to you right now. We need to end all new fossil fuel projects in the UK immediately if we are to have a country that we can live in and an economy that will keep us going. That's Why do you only stop at new? Ah, yeah. So that's a really good point. Is that, so is that phase one? Well... So, so this is one criticism we heard of Just Stop Oil is that the name implies that we want to turn off the oil like tomorrow and yeah. everybody just has to do without. And what I guess we were, you need a catchy title and mm -hmm. saying just stop all new fossil fuel products but keep the ones that you've got already going is a bit long. <laughs> but basically we're saying stop new oil exploration because yeah. we've got loads already. So we're already extracting loads of oil and gas from the North Sea. I think I looked up, it's like 250 billion barrels that we've got of our current supplies, yeah. which is predicted to our last eight years if we carry on as we are. But obviously, if we start a quick transition away from oil, it will last yeah. as long as we want it to last. As The more solar panels and wind farms we put in, the longer that's going to last. But we're just saying we've got to stop somewhere. We've got to draw the line somewhere. If we if we keep every year, we say, oh, a little bit more, I'll just have a little bit more. I'll, we'll have a couple of years. Let's just get one more. And uh, what we're talking about now is if we have new projects, they come online in 20 years' time, and then they're cooking the planet in another 20 years when we really can't afford to be doing that. So we have yeah. to stop the projects that, now. That is one of the criticisms of Just Up All, isn't it? That it's a lot of uh, direct action protests and they yeah. say if we just suddenly, uh, you know, we stopped oil like tomorrow, have we got the infrastructure in place? Um, yeah. I think some criticism, I was reading an article called Navarra Media, um, which is talking yeah. more about, you know, Labour for a new Green Deal and mm -hmm. how trying to sort of focus on transitioning the economy into low carbon and having those mm -hmm. conversations. And, and it, within that, they've, I wouldn't say criticised, but but they've kind of analysed the tactics of Just Stop Oil and said it, it can't just be that. We need to do the other bit as well. We need to work together more effectively to make okay. that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's the messaging thing. We've got a simple message, but absolutely the second line underneath that is that requires a green energy transformation project and that yeah. uh, and there's all sorts of benefits there you know you get clean air to breathe and you get new skilled well-paid decent jobs for people um there's so many other benefits so yeah i mean there is more than just 
the headline and just stop oil is more complicated than that. But and and, uh, you, and you guys are obviously all aware of that. But this is a sort of uh, part. This is part of the solution and the answer. Oh yeah. But I, I mean, are you? I guess my question then would be: Are you having those conversations as a collective with um, the trade unions, for example, or with? other you know green energy companies to be looking at or, or lobbying policymakers and 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 government around supporting that next transition because i guess the only issue becomes if you just stop oil now that you know what what, what would happen yeah i mean people would die wouldn't they it would be yeah. a disaster so we're just saying that if you keep going after a little bit more and a little bit more, you never draw a line where you have to actually aim for if we said right no new projects we'll use what we've got already literally in the pipeline as it were then um it actually gives us a target so we have to work towards that and we have to actually do the things we should have done years ago and have a rapid transformation towards green energy which we can do um it's well within our power to do we just don't want to do it and you know there are obvious reasons for that the fossil fuel industry is extremely powerful and has spent a lot of money i mean it it is but and you're right and i think that's the obvious way to sort of lean in on this and it's a global industry but also i think just on a more of a grassroots level um, a lot of these jobs are working class jobs really in the in the kind of engineering highly skilled but they are trade unionized jobs so it it, it, that's kind of where i brought the unions really because you've had situations where the gmb which is sort of the main sort of union um that has kind of you know heavy carbon sort of industries they often do vote against some of these oil and gas green policies yeah, um, yeah. and i think that's not necessarily because they support them i think it's more they're supporting their workers and they want to see yeah. some transition into these people being guaranteed jobs in i don't know offshore low carbon renewables or whatever that would look looks like yeah. and they can't give that guarantee until they know that's happening of course i mean these people people aren't stupid they if you look at the history of this country you shut down the coal mines and what happens? You just get left in destitute with nothing. And we've had whole communities destroyed by this. And these people, they remember how it goes. And uh, yeah, like if you said to me, like, I'm going to take away your livelihood. Oh, but I might give you another one that would be better. Well, you know, you're going to want to stick with what you got rather than take a risk on that when history tells you that, you know, previously you've just been left with nothing. So it, that's part of it is to say this is a guarantee that we're not leaving anyone behind with this. This is actually going to offer, you know, better jobs, so cleaner jobs, jobs that won't be harmful to your health and jobs that will give your children a future and jobs that will be secure for centuries to come because we're going to need this technology for a long time. So how are we um, going to push for that second part then? Yeah. Tricky, and how is Just Stop Oil going to push for that second part? Um, yeah. Presumably it's going to have to reach out and work with with others to do that we i mean you said to me earlier do we have conversations with trade unions and so on um and the fact is we we'll talk to anyone um we're we're not sort of saying you know our way is the right way and everyone else is wrong sure we we recognize that what we're doing is creating the space for all these other things that need to happen we do hear a lot about China and India and the United States and stuff, and it's sort of you know that we could do our bit, but other countries aren't. Yeah. Are there are, are there good examples of countries that are leading the way on this stuff that we can look to to model? Good question. I guess um, some of the Nordic countries are ahead of us, but it's not a great comparison. Like Norway's done a lot more in terms of electrification of the economy, but they've yeah. done it off the back of a massive sovereign wealth fund that's made from 
North Sea oil. So okay. there's not a, I don't think there's a perfect. Denmark, uh, maybe Denmark, or I don't know, Denmark yeah. or Sweden, perhaps. But you don't, there's nowhere that you would say stands out that that no one's doing enough. You you would probably you would I argue. You can cherry pick, so you can be like, well, Amsterdam has start introduced this kind of donut economics principle into the city. Yeah. Um, yeah, Denmark are really ahead on wind turbines. You can you can pick, you can cherry pick different examples around the world. But mm. the I guess you mentioned earlier, we've got this A twenty two network of groups all around Europe and North America and Australia. What's it called? Um, Sorry, A twenty two. Yeah, so it's just yeah. the overarching network of all these different yeah. direct action groups. The reason for that is there's no country that's doing it perfectly. God, if there was, it'd be great. You could just point to them and say, look how great it is there. They're, they're nailing it. We should do that. But there just isn't one. Um, and we, we've all got to push in whatever country we're in. To- are, we, are we quite hypocritical then when we sort of point the fingers a bit at China and India and, and, and say, we can't do this because, you know, look at these big global powers yeah. that are bearing in mind also that really... Their entire, in, you know, both those countries, China even more so, obviously, is is based on making stuff, um, yeah. which we which we buy, yeah. <laughs> and and it's a sort of it's a feedback loop, isn't it? This stuff. I, yeah. I just wonder whether you feel there's a bit of hypocrisy from the West with this. Yeah, there is absolutely. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, it, there is a point. I don't want to dismiss it. Right. People who say, "What about America, China, maybe India to a less, lesser extent, but still." Mm increasing emissions there's a they've got a point if those countries don't also come on board then yeah we're in a dire situation but i say to them well what's the best way of achieving that should we just sit here doing nothing and moan at them or should we maybe sort out our own situation and then we can actually put some pressure on and say look we're doing it you need to do it some of the biggest criticisms of extinction rebellion which i know you were involved in didn't just come from uh kind of people i know that are quite cynical about this kind of st- stuff it came from people that were fully on board with um trying to do something about climate change but yeah. actually people on the political left a bit that that felt that the extinction event lacked politics yeah it, it, yeah. it lacked it lacked an underpinning understanding of how to change the systems in society yeah firstly is that a legitimate criticism and secondly are those younger people becoming more mature perhaps in their understanding of what comes next i mean i i guess Extinction Rebellion was never designed to be a political party or to Mm. to kind of, it was designed to create the space for change. And they had, they have their, we still have their um, demand of citizens assemblies, which is the idea of upgrading our current political system to basically to reduce the amount of corruption and the amount of influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bureaucrats, yeah. Yeah. All the lobbyists and things who who have held back progress and change on this issue, um, but yeah, I I think it's fair to say they weren't like uh, they weren't waiting there with all the solutions. But I think they were open about that. I think I think Extinction Rebellion have always said we don't have all the solutions. We just know that what we're doing is we can't do it anymore, and we need to ask the people for solutions. And we trust that people aren't stupid and actually when you sit people down in a room and seriously talk about the issue then yeah. we will come up with solutions there's a problem the main issue was we weren't doing that we were just ignoring it and carrying on as we were but as you get more involved in the climate movement, you become aware that it's not just you and your mates or you and your well mostly people you just met trying to do a protest there's all sorts of people working on this and a lot of them are, 
are doing exactly what you said of thinking of well what comes next with politics what comes next with economics and mm-hmm. and that's all really important work we have to try and build something out of this which is gonna function for everybody and also for people who are not yet born and that, okay that's interesting because there was almost i think i don't know who said it it was a direct quote around extinction that we, you know this is a we're beyond politics this is a movement yeah. beyond politics yeah. i guess that means politics with a small p party politics but yeah. it's not beyond politics in its truest sense because oh yeah you know, for, for real change to enact you would need all of that and more yeah oh yeah you're totally right i mean this is everything i'm talking about is massively political obviously isn't it this is exactly this is what politics is it's just they were trying to say we're not like labor or green or we're not we're not siding with the party and we're not even saying that politics as it stands has the answers we're saying that people have the answers do you think that young people feel increasingly more like the institutions um economic political across the world have catastrophically failed on this so they have no faith so they yeah. so more and more direct action groups of whatever description like this um, will begin to increase and increase as this climate disaster looms ever more. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean that is how I would feel growing up at a time like this. You're being handed on something that's going to be a lot worse than what your parents had, and that's that's not the way humans should be is it we should be handing on something that's worth having and and it's Mm. it has been a complete failure and it's just tragic it breaks my heart to see young people today in the desperate situation they're in and i i mean that's one of the reasons i'm doing this is because i i need to be able to look these people in the eye and say that i'm trying to help be part of this change did you have a a sort of eureka moment that Mm. awakened you to this stuff or, or or was it a gradual thing and at what age did that happen Pat? yeah good question i i was sort of vaguely worried about it like i'd avoid flying in my 20s um but then every now and again i'd be like oh, i really want to go to this place so i'll do it and i sort of thought i should eat less meat but i quite i really like meat, and i mm. kind of worried but didn't do anything i worked abroad I, well i went to kenya as a student and saw people literally starving to death and then I went to uh, South Africa where it borders Mozambique uh, to work and saw again drought people losing cattle and crops and malnourished kids and it was all just horrifying Um, so I came home to the UK being like well something's got to change here this is just horrendous and I actually just read the IPCC report of 2018, not the whole thing. I just read the summary on the news or whatever. I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is like, this is the issue of our time. This is what everything depends on. Yeah. And it was like, I suddenly, I think I just Googled like climate protests because I was like, Mm. I cannot believe this is happening. I have to do something. And then it started a journey, which I honestly don't think I could stop now. If once you've kind of realized how serious this is, it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't, function if i wasn't trying to do something about it so having that having a broader perspective then going abroad and seeing direct impact yeah um as you said of drought and poverty and 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 we are looking at a situation now where you know we're going to see increased migration there's going to be um you know the global south is going to be even more so affected we're we're now beginning to just uh, the reason i say that is because i think that 
and I know you're the movement of Just Stop All is about raising awareness, but also presumably you want to win hearts and minds. Yeah, we want to win enough hearts and minds so we can win the cause. Enough, um, enough, right. So yeah. I think the fact that you had a different experience that broadened your mind to this, is that a bit of an issue with, with, the, with the cynics or people that are only thinking about getting to work when they get stopped, is that it hasn't hit home quite yet for them directly? And maybe yeah. when it does, there'll be a there'll be a shift and a change. You know, in my experience, people have to sometimes taste or experience, you know, have some lived experience for them to do something about it. I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, and I guess it is. It's a privilege that I, in in a horrible sense, I was able to see that, and it made it real to me. And I know for a lot of people, they haven't had that, and it doesn't it doesn't feel quite real. Yeah, and, and the that, danger is when it feels real for them, it could late. be too late. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about this is is it's not something that we our instincts deal with very well. It's never happened before. We don't have a memory of it happening. Um, it's something that we're having to imagine in the future. And yeah, seeing a bit of it real. I mean, that's, the crazy thing is, I, I you know I went on Good Morning Britain and said, hey, I've been to places where people are dying right now, yeah. and they were like, yeah, well, what about people who are going to be a little bit late in their day? And I was like, are you serious? Are you you know, yeah. you've, you've heard me, people are starving to death. And they just couldn't, I think it's because they've not seen it. They couldn't, yeah. just, didn't, yeah, just didn't mean anything to them. Yeah, yeah. Are you optimistic, Pat? Are you mm. about this stuff? I hate to end on, I hate to end this way. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. um, not really. I think, I think our choice now is between things being bad or things being really, really bad. Um, but I guess I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have some hope for the future like i you know i'm i'm not i'm i'm not i'm not giving up yet and i'm never going to give up it, there's yeah. always something worth saving or something you know some some benefit that worth is worth a fight so but i'm not i try not to like pin my hopes on anything in particular because i've had a lot of disappointment in this business already and um it's best to just just work from acceptance and say let's just do what we can and every every little bit we can help is a, is worth having, I guess, is my outlook. Okay. Is there anything for a waverer or even a cynic listening that you could convince to, to make some kind of contribution, however big or small, what would you say to them? Um, I guess, I guess that's it, isn't it? Is h- however big or however small, just make a contribution. I guess I, the way I think of it is, how am I going to look back on this? Am I going to look back and regret the fact that I could have, you know, worked at more shifts and made more money or the fact that I could have spent more time watching Netflix or something, which is all great, you know, good for people when they do that, fine. But no, I won't. I'll look back and think, what could I have done? Um, And ultimately, this is down to us. We are all just people, citizens of this planet, and it's down to us to do whatever we can. So whatever you're doing think what more could you be doing i mean i i don't want to dismiss people's like i i cycle to work but if i get up in the morning i've got a flat tire i'm really annoyed because <laughs> i don't want to deal with that and then i just want to get to work and i'm going to be late and all right so it is annoying i give i give them that but yeah am i going to remember that in 20 years time no of course i'm not i'm going to think about you know my if i hope to have them one day my grandkids i'm going to think what are they can they lead a happy life and what what's it, you know are they safe and these are the things that are going to bother me so let's think about the long term here let's think how we're we going to look back on our life and what are we going to yeah. be proud of 
that's how I'm trying to frame it in my mind to keep me going. Thank you, Pat. A, co- a call to arms, for want of a better word, I think, for people for people listening that this is real, this is happening now. And yeah, um, yeah get involved in, in any way that you can, I think. And if you've got any questions, I think that's really important. Legitimate yeah. questions, legitimate criticisms, I think an open dialogue to this stuff, or to anything really, is, is really important. I'm prepared to people to challenge me. That's fine. That's what it is to live in a free society. And I'm, I want to talk to people, and that's I'm, I'm good with that. So, yeah, let's... Um, Let's have a conversation. Happy to, anytime. Thank you, Pat. Many thanks to Dr. Patrick Hart for joining us on this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked. And we will be back next week with a brand new topic and a fantastic guest. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>